2: everybody i'm chad bokelman i'm mark marvel and this is the lantern cast episode 412 oh that is right oh man only a couple off man we could have had it an even hundred between i them. did
3: notice that yes because as we, i think we mentioned the last time we when we actually did the review of earth one volume two that the original earth one Earth One, when we talked about Earth One Volume 2, Earth One Volume 1 was the Steve Austin episode, episode 316.
2: <laughs> <laughs> 100%. And, and, and speaking of, so, uh, yeah, guys, that's that's what you're in for tonight. We are talking about uh, Earth One Volume 2. But wait, didn't you guys already do a review episode? Yes, yes, we did. Uh, but, but there's uh... more! <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's more for four easy payments of $59.99. <laughs> no, uh, we, are, we are talking with the creative team behind Earth-1 Volume 2 uh, of Green Lantern. Gabriel Hardman and Karina Becko are back on the show making their second appearance to talk all about um, the Volume 2, as well as, I mean, just... Their philosophy on this world that they've created, their ideas behind it, and uh, man, it, it it's uh we can't wait for you guys to hear this. It's it's a lot of fun.
3: Yes, it was um it was unfortunate in a way that that again as as we kind of talk as as you'll kind of hear that uh we as we talked about too it comes up in, in the interview the idea the uh that the marketing <laughs> the the marketing for this one was not nearly as heavy let's just say as for volume one. So it's a little funny, it's unfortunate that we couldn't have had them on in the same episode that we did the review like we did the last time. Mm-hmm. That would have that would have been cool, but this is just as cool. <laughs> 100%, 100%. Uh,
2: I mean yeah, like 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 Mark said um the it was yeah, it was episode 316, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, so yeah, uh, episode 316 is when we talked about uh, Earth 1, volume 1, and had them on. And episode 405 was uh, when we reviewed uh, this uh, volume 2. So if you guys want to do your homework and go listen to those episodes, feel free. If not, whatever, I don't think you necessarily need to to enjoy this recording. We had a whole lot of fun. Um, So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get them on the line. Sounds good. All right, guys. We are on the line now with the creators of the Green Lantern Earth One series. Tonight, we are obviously talking about their new work. We've actually had them on the show before. We have Karina Becko and Gabriel Hardman. Welcome back, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Welcome back. Yeah, that's right. It's been it's been a minute. Uh, you know, actually, I'm going to throw a complete wrench in the works because I already told Mark I was going to start with one question, but just, just the intro made me, made me think, of, think about uh, this. The, the time between the, the two books, uh, it's, it's obviously been a little while. Is this, is this sort of unique to you guys in terms of projects you've worked on in the past, or was there always kind of set to be – because I'm asking it in the context of it seemed like when Earth One Volume One came out. There was a lot of pop and circumstance and advertising and stuff like that. Now, maybe the pandemic has sort of affected this, but not doesn't seem quite as much with volume two. So in terms of DC pushing the product, as well as the time between the two volumes, how has that sort of affected y'all's storytelling going into this when this came out?
0: Well, it didn't affect the storytelling at all. I okay. mean, we just did the book we wanted to do the, um, you know, the. Uh, you you immediately put us in the position of having to say something weird about like all of the the chaos of everything, but like it's no it, it you know obviously there's the pandemic yeah. and obviously there've been you know the there's been some reshuffling of uh, you know priorities and and uh, whatever at DC Comics that we're not privy to at all. And uh, so, you know, the, the, as far, you know the, the book got pushed back just because of the pandemic. I mean, it was, uh, it was something that was going to be announced earlier. And I think that, you know, like with a lot of things, it's, you know, there's just so much going on and, and uh, so much chaotic stuff that it, you know, I, I don't think that it got the, uh, the promotional push that it should have. But, you know, I mean, what can you do? There, there, we live in very extreme times.
2: No, hundred percent, and I of course didn't mean to put you on the spot about the DC thing. I, I meant more necessarily about the pandemic and kind of the various focuses going on. I wasn't necessarily referring to what was happening over on the
0: past. No, side no, of I. I it just, it's just hard to explain without all the context. And, oh. and in the in the rea the reality of it is we don't know what the hell was going on. So you know we're oh. not ready to do that stuff. That's like big corporate stuff. We're just you know doing our book and uh, occasionally writing and going, hey, so is this announced yet? <laughs> (laughs) Uh, the because we you know we finished the book long we finished the book before the pandemic right yeah yeah i mean it was well before all this stuff happened so uh it, you know like it, it, it's it, and who knows you know did the pandemic start 6 months ago 3 years ago no one knows anymore so <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh man but so the real first question i actually have was so in in the in volume 2 we see kind of via news recap what's happened in the years between volume 1 and 2 can you guys kind of elaborate on where planet earth stands on the world stage like politically militarily because the, the story is obviously you know there's there's all there's a big chunk of it that happens in in space and and all of the interactions between yellow and green and so on and so forth but the actual the the minutiae of of where we're at before everything kicks off can it, it was a was interesting to me to say the least so can you kind of set the stage for anybody who maybe hasn't read it yet or didn't quite uh understand where we were at between two volumes
0: well it's you know um it's set three years after the end of the first volume and the um the you know for us certainly for me you know the things that you don't say are just as important as the things you do say and the and the the intention is to uh, set it up in a way where you are or you the reader asking questions. I mean, if this were a monthly book, presumably, you know, all that stuff would have just been, you know, told in a sort of episodic way. But uh, but I think that a big part of the value of, uh, you know, these sort of standalone graphic novels is that you can take the big, uh, you know, make the big leaps between them. I mean, I, I the last thing I want to talk about is Star Wars, but I mean, one of the the great things that uh, I mean in relation to this book, but like because it's it's not a great, it, it doesn't really relate with Star Wars that well in other ways. But the um, but one of the values of having the break in between it and having it be a standalone volume, much like the first three Star Wars movies, was there were you know there's this. Uh, you know, a big undefined, not specifically defined leap in time that happens between them that you as an audience come to and you fill that in, you know? So, I mean, I, I think I'm, certainly I'm a big believer in, uh, in asking the audience to, uh, to make that effort and uh, meet us part way, because I think that, it, at least for me as a reader, it makes a more uh, enriching experience
1: yeah and I think that also it's it's difficult I've seen a lot of other writers um, talk about this too. The events of the past I don't know 18 months have been so outlandish that it's hard when your book comes out that's been that was written before all of the things that have happened lately have happened it, it almost it no matter what it almost seems like you're commenting on stuff and in reality you wrote, before things have happened and it's a it's sort of an interesting dichotomy I think a lot of people read in stuff that isn't wasn't necessarily there but maybe that's good but
0: I want I mean to me I think reading it is good and I think that bringing whatever you want to it is good uh I mean and we you know we deliberately left the uh what exactly was happening on earth oblique apart from the little bits that you get because I think that that's that just makes For I mean, you know, perhaps a different kind of storytelling experience than you usually get from uh, from a DC comic. But, you know, this is a a different format. Uh, Yeah, 100 percent. I I would agree. I would agree with all that. And and, in the fact
2: that, unfortunately, sometimes topics that you're going to touch on, at least the ones that are most compelling, are unfortunately always going to be evergreen, (laughs) whether it's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even the most negative in the world socioeconomically or militarized
0: police or whatever you want to say out there, unfortunately, you know,
2: history repeats
0: itself. So. yes, yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's, that's also something where, you know, we also, uh, you know, we have been on a quite long hiatus, but we do uh, a book called Invisible Republic at Image. That's our creator own book. And that's very much about, uh, about looking at the past and reframing it as a sort of science fiction book, but uh, and it has a lot of political implications to it, but the way, but since that book, I mean, the book, the last uh, volume of it came out of, uh, in 2016. And since then, people have consistently uh, kind of come back to it and and talk to us about it because it's more it's been more and more resonant as, uh, you know, over the last couple of years. And uh, and I think that when you're, you know, exactly what you say, these these things are sort of uh it can be ever present and evergreen in a, you know, in a not so good way. And when you, you know, when you look to the past and you look to other, uh, you know, look to history and look, you know, and bring some of those elements in, in a different guise, they're, you know, they'll, they'll probably come around again. I mean, it's I th- all of the, all of the things that, are um that are in the book that might seem in the Green Lantern book that might seem resonant, you know, are I, I think are, are resonant because they were always there and we're, you know, and we're just uh what's going on now is so much more overt.
3: It has to do and I think it has to do with it just reflects on human nature, too, because you look at especially like the part that resonated with me was about when based when you find out what's going on on Earth in relation to what their view is on how since, you know, and and the mixed view on which is very human and very realistic that you have a certain percentage of the population, which will see how and his arrival oh, this is a good thing cuz he's here to protect us and then you have the element that says well you know we didn't you know is he is he really here to protect us and we have now we have all, and maybe he is but now we have all these issues that we didn't have before which they, like they dealt with in like the, in as we saw they deal, dealt with in the MCU really like, uh, in Civil War and things about how the threats get you know since iron man popped up you know the all of yeah. a sudden they, the threats to the the threats to the world grew exponentially as the as, as the vision said so I think a lot of these things are are just human nature too, and and I and I thought, and yes, you could read into you know c- our current situation and related to even that how cynical we are as, as society, but I think also just it's just human nature to go. It's, it's like the To Serve Man episode of the of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> it, it's like it's like it's like you have that certain percentage of the people of the of the population that's like, oh, you no, know, they really have, gr- they really just want to help us, and then you have the other people. Well, sure. But well, what do they want? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that
0: the further element of that is that since this is fiction and not real life, we owe it to uh, uh, to um, just to the audience and to to be rigorous and uh, and give characters motivations that, uh, you know, that are, are um, you know, relatable and uh, and and can and understandable and make them be doing things that, you know, for, for reasons that are true to themselves and real life isn't like that, <laughs> you know, real, right. in real life, people, people have some really lousy motivations and, you know, <laughs> and people are, are, you know, people can be very, can be really bad, you know, and, uh, but if, if somebody's one dimensionally bad in a, in a story, it just falls flat. So, you know, uh, so making a documentary versus, uh, you know, a work of fiction kind of serves different masters in that
3: way. Oh yeah, I, I I would agree because you 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 need some I mean you need some depth or you should have some depth in villains or that's why fallen heroes make the kind of the best villains because you know there's there's some duality there that makes that and the villain being the hero of their own story and things of that nature it's like as opposed to just the twirling and the must. No pun Sorry, Sinestro, but the twirling and the mustache.
0: <laughs> well, but look, we, you know, we approach that in a way where True. we're not going to deal with it as just he's a, right. a mustache twirling villain. I mean, but almost because of that, because of his snidely whiplash look, you know, I mean, and his name, uh, it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's teeing it up as a, a one note. You know, it could become a one note thing. So, we you know, we have this limited space and we're going to use it to try to explore the characters with you know with some level of uh, uh, you know grayness and complexity.
3: Actually, you know, Chad, I was I'm, I was I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to let you ask what I was going to ask because now there's a more natural segue because. Because of what Gabriel said. So so let's talk so you mentioned Sinestro. Let's talk a little bit about the Sinestro arissia relationship. Since obviously Arissia is basically the leader of the core in this situation and, and Sinestro is not particularly thrilled with that concept. So how did you how do you view their dynamic and and where and where did you know, basically where did that come from in your mind's eye? How you wanted to explore their relationship in relation to the core or just themselves?
0: We wrote it a couple of years ago. We looked out the window. <laughs> <laughs> like at the world <laughs> you know i'm completely reversing myself on every other thing i said no you karina you talk
1: about it. well also um there are always people that feel entitled and no matter how much power they have they feel like they're entitled to their opinion carrying more weight or just in general taking it's and actually that's one of the things i think is most interesting about superheroes and also about science fiction is a question of power and what you do with that power and ultimately i think it's um worth exploring that if you have something like well in green lantern it's interesting because there's not just one person with power there's a lot of different people that have power and how they use it it's so we were given the opportunity with them to say okay if people have power the group that has power is then empowering a leader And intrinsically, she doesn't really have more power than the rest of them, except for what they've given her and what the different uh, members then believe about that.
2: Right. So that sort of brings up an interesting point, because last time you guys, you know, especially when you were on the show, you made the distinction that having the lanterns not being chosen, it makes it more about living up to the responsibility of having the ring as opposed to being inherently inclined towards it. And Mm -hmm. you guys made sure you distinguish Hal as highly skilled. So that brings something unique to Hal's tenure as GL. But given the amount of lanterns we see in this volume, I think some people are wondering what in your guys's mind makes the other lanterns we see special and you don't have to obviously list them off one by one but because these folks aren't necessarily chosen but we do have a lot of the same people uh historically speaking aresia has a problematic uh, continuity history out in, yeah. in, in, in 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 regular dc obviously yeah. earth One's its own universe but uh, what about, like, say, Aresia called to you? And I know, Gabriel, you love Kilowogs. So, like, what what are these things that make these lanterns special to you guys now that they're no longer
0: chosen? Well, I mean, with Aresia, I think that we framed where she was coming from pretty well in Volume 1 and uh, that it was, you know, that she was someone who was sort of, uh, you know, conscious of of. You know the the challenges in in the universe and keeping her little world safe uh, from you know f- through you know through the having inherited the ring from a previous lantern and and uh, and you know at, at she had been at this for longer than other people had so she was she was just bringing a skill set to it that was different than everybody else's and uh, you know particularly uh, you know and you know and and. As far as what makes them special, I think that this is fundamentally one of those things that uh, that, you know, fiction and this kind of empowerment fiction tells us that uh, that everybody's special. Maybe they're not, you know, maybe everybody's just bringing different things to it. Maybe every Green Lantern is not great at it. And, you know, if this were a bigger, longer book, we could we could get into stuff like that more that would be interesting, but you know, but it, ultimately you just, you know, you have a spine of your story and the things in your story have to be serving it. So uh, it's just not, you know, how how everybody relates to being a Green Lantern just isn't something that we have the space for in something like this. Although I would have been perfectly happy to make the book 300 pages long. <laughs> if you ask, if, and if you ask our editor, Christy Quinn, who has to put up with, had to put up with us uh, writing and going, can we just have like two more pages? Over and over and over again, uh, up until the point where she's like, no, you can't have two more pages anymore, you know, uh, I mean, the books, the book always starts out at like 118 pages, something like that, and makes it to 132. But um, the, uh, but I mean, I think that it's, you don't you know, you, I, I don't, I don't believe that every, that everybody has to be special and I don't ever believe that everybody has to be perfect. And, it, and it's entirely possible that the people who ended up with the rings are not the best people to have them. It's, you know, it, it's not, uh, you know, and that's, and I think that that's, you know, that makes for more potential drama and conflict that, you know, if there were a volume three, uh, could certainly be a huge part of it. Yeah. And it, so I, I wasn't going to mention it, but be. big, be- listeners of the show will know i
2: i don't have too big of a problem going into my own my own personal life and this is a little too you're not personal. going to are you <laughs> yeah, just 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 thought, can, can you give me five seconds let me let me just uh I, i'm not gonna tell anything about why because obviously that's super personal but i recently started therapy and one of the things for the first time in my life never done it before because i'm a huge fan of green lantern I, I told this therapist, you know, uh, about my passion for Green Lantern and how ironic it is because that I latch onto it because, you know, Superman, you have to be an alien and flash, you know, this right combination of lightning and chemicals, blah, 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 blah. But with Green Lantern, all you have to do is just be capable of overcoming these things that hold you back. And I thought that was ironic because there's so many things in my life that I allow to hold me back. Uh, so it's sort of ironic that this is my favorite kit with one of my favorite characters. And she asked me, "How do I define willpower?" And, and guys, listeners out there, like, this is like less than a week ago, so this is entirely new. Something I'm still sort of racking my brain around. Apparently. About a third of the population defines willpower as this sort of, frankly, superpower. This idea that, you know, there's a house at the bottom of the hill and there's a boulder charging down the hill and it's going to smash the house, win, lose, or draw, but it doesn't matter. You're going to buck up and you're going to face down that boulder because, damn it, I'm going to do something. I'm not just going to sit there and let something happen to me. That's sort of the wrong, the, the real definition of willpower is like the little moments, the little decisions that you make to change things. And I thought that was just so weird. So, when you mention the idea that these lanterns aren't necessary, there's not really anything that makes them special. Uh, the, it's just a tool uh, and it can be used positively or negatively, or well or not well by anybody, because the idea of, of them being chosen and the idea of willpower just being this, this thing this superhuman uh feat that in your mind that just drives you to these insane points of progress uh maybe psychologically speaking it's a good approach to take to this character and it kind of makes sense and i, I really i really like the idea of we're sort of we're, we're kind of half in how half, half out you guys are exploring this but it's also a superhero book so we do have to have some sort of superhuman willpower displays on the on the part of like hal and things like that here in these moments but i, I do like the idea that that you, Thought about that 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 there really aren't that special and that's maybe okay. Hey, I
0: I mean I, I do think that it's you know um, I think that one of the things with and you know I mean I don't I don't want to you know I'm not I'm not trying to you know denigrate anything here uh, but the but I think that one of the things that comes from and I've experienced this one of the things that comes from being kind of indoctrinated into you know superhero comics the way that a lot of us have been. Are you you know you take elements of you know of the the stories for granted or elements of the ways these kinds of stories get told for granted and or like they're just baked in and I uh, and uh, because you've been reading them since you're a kid not you anybody all of us you know and so I mean I think that there's a way you know they're just approaching some of that sort of stuff from a let from a way that doesn't feel I, I mean, just for me personally, I'm you know what I'm trying to articulate here is that I, I always want to approach this stuff in a way that doesn't feel perfunctory. It doesn't feel like I'm we're you know uh, we're telling the story because this is the way that you tell stories like this. You know, I mean, just and and it's not about you know uh, making nihilistic comics or making you know uh, '80s grim and gritty comics or whatever. You know, it's just about you know trying to approach things from a slightly different angle. I mean, the you know I'm really against cynical kind of nihilistic superheroes. I, I, I think that uh, that one of the things that defines these books that we've done are that the people are trying really hard and they really believe in stuff. And, you know, even if it doesn't work out, they're not, you know, uh, they're not people who just, are you know some sort of grim and gritty avatar, or or their you know, uh, or a uh, just a, you know, it's 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 not about cynicism. The, the people, everybody, virtually every character in the book is has a goal that they think is right, and they're trying really hard, and they're trying to do the best thing they can.
3: I think, like you mentioned, I think I think the approach to well, I do like the idea of them being worthy. I do think that. You, it is a it is a really interesting concept, and it is it's true. It brings more depth to the characters, especially when like Sinestro, like you mentioned. And I was gonna get I was gonna ask about that, but that's why we kind of that was a perfect segue for what I asked about Arisia and Sinestro. That you know, I like your approach to Sinestro. I like the fact that he's definitely you know you know there's in the back of his mind there's there's a certain you know, aspect of Sinestro that's always there, but it isn't, but this, but he's not so blatantly obvious in what he wants, and he seems a little more flexible and he seems a little more open minded. And maybe conceptually, if we, and if, if in our universe, our green, you know, Green Lantern universe, the one we're used to, if Sinestro wasn't inherently chosen and didn't believe he was just so naturally superior to everybody else who had the ring, maybe, maybe we would see. <laughs> Like a, a Sinestro like that. So I think that's interesting that the idea that made that the ring, they're more on equal footing based on their natural ability that, that they're not necessarily their raw natural ability, but the fact that they're that it isn't just, Oh, the ring chose me. So that means I'm naturally superior to you as opposed to you picking up the ring.
0: Yeah. So but actually- I mean, also one thing that has to come back every time when we talk about these, these books is that they're deliberately alternative versions. Right. Absolutely. I mean, if the, you know, if they're not, you know, if we were doing the same thing, we wouldn't be doing our job, you know? Right. So I don't know. So, I mean, on some level, I'm just saying they kind of have to be different and, and we need, and we approach it in a way where we have to go. How, you know, how can we, how can we tell a story like this, but not tell the story that's already been told a million times and tell just from a different angle, you know? So, like, I mean, I think especially since it's, you know, there are lots of books out. There. I mean, the you know, the vast majority of Greenlander books are the books that are, you know, they're in continuity and they're, you know, uh, and they're the, uh, the, the one we're all used to. And, you know, Hal Jordan is, uh, I mean, I, honestly, I, at this point in reboots and stuff, I'm not even sure anymore, but like he, you know, uh, you know, he was the... Whatever the specter, and he was paralyzed, and this and all this stuff, right? I mean, like, I, I you know, for us, the challenge is to go. What are the essential things, and how, how do we, how do we both make this about the essential parts of, of these characters, but also uh, approach them in a different angle, from a different angle, from you know, and how this world we've created for them is impacting them.
1: Well, also, I think um, that a lot of superheroes are, are <clears throat> about power, but they're also about choices, hopefully, and also some wish fulfillment, maybe. (laughs) So uh, a big part of whether or not someone's chosen when they get the ring, I think the ring is basically just power writ large. And whether or not you can hang on to power is a question, because there could be lots of different reasons why the different uh, lanterns end up with the ring, like maybe somebody finds it, or they inherit it. Or as we know from our own world, it's a lot easier to hang on to power if you've inherited it, because there's a power structure keeping you in that position. Whereas if you just stumble onto the power, you might keep it and you might not. And I think, you know, if, if someone really forgetful found a ring and then they put it down in a public restroom, somebody else is going to pick up the ring and they're not going to keep it for very long. Therefore, were they just not special enough? Yeah, maybe, you know, if the next person that finds it is special enough to hang on to that power, then I mean, you can say that a lot of it's about choice in what you do with
0: it. And how you know, and and being able to rise to the occasion. You're given this, you know, power, but you might just kill yourself with it <laughs> immediately, yeah, you know? I mean, I you know, I, I certainly, you know, uh there were points when uh like in the first volume where we kind of jokingly were like, what if Hal just puts it on and kills himself immediately? And we just, you know, and then we just give it to somebody else. And it's a total fake. The beginning is a total fake out. Uh, I doubt DC comics would have been happy. (laughs)
3: Um, now that's probably true.
0: Karina, what you said about leaving a a,
2: a ring in the bathroom or something. um, So what you're saying is that Nort will be a part of Volume Three, right?
0: One hundred percent.
2: Yeah,
3: He's the glue that holds it all together. <laughs>
0: in this, uh, imaginary Volume Three. He's going to be the star. Like it's down to him to get. You know, every other Lantern is dead, and because we've jumped to three years again, we won't tell you how they all died. But uh, <laughs> but the the only the only guy left is Nort, however you say it, and uh, you know the big dog guy, and he's gonna uh, and and he it's it's. It's down to him to 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 rescue Hal Jordan so I'm sorry I blew the whole you know next volume but
3: whatever it, it's good to have an exclusive we can run with that <laughs> uh so as you as you mentioned as a good it was a good segue about the about having it obviously you can't tell the same story you got to do variations or else you know what would, what would be the point so let's talk about uh, John Stewart and John Stewart, Volume One, I believe you said was not really a, meant to be or could be a John Stewart story, but this was a John, clearly a John Stewart story. So, what about this story and this and what you wanted to tell in Volume Two made it a John Stewart story from your perspective?
0: Um, we just wanted to bring in uh, somebody else who people have particular expectations for in an unexpected way. And, uh, you know, also be able to tee them up to perhaps be very important in the next spot. And I'm sorry that he's Canadian, but he just is.
3: (laughs) I'm okay with that. (laughs) It's not your
0: other uh, Jon Stewart is off in the regular DC universe murdering whole planets and doing all whatever (laughs) they do over there. Our guy is a is like an earnest, you know, good guy who's really trying and and uh, you know involved with this you know this group that wants to uh, you know that's doing their best to to kind of bring Earth into the uh, into the bigger uh, you know galaxy and uh, and you know and even though the this uh, this group is stymied, they still do everything they can to make sure that they succeed. <laughs>
2: You know, uh, just to sort of expand on that, and you, you sort of went into it just, just there a little bit. This is something I like to ask virtually every creator that we have on in terms of when, those that have used John Stewart. Uh, I, I think the character of John Stewart is great, but a lot of people tend to define John by his history in comics as opposed to his personality they talk about the angry black architect or the military man or like you mentioned the cosmic odyssey destruction of uh zanchi i believe uh and and all of this so they define him by those moments in his history as opposed to the man himself this is your it's earth one so it's a blank slate he doesn't have that history so given that it's a
0: blank no, no, slate wait, wait, no ours ours actually killed an entire planet that just happened in the three years between the two
2: of <laughs> even though he didn't have a ring he somehow yeah, i did. know i know it's
0: amazing <laughs> i'd love to tell you that story but i can't go ahead
2: <laughs> so so it's it, it gives you guys sort of a unique way to answer this is is what do you see as the differences or, or rather what do you see as as the the driving personality points the the positives about the character of Jon Stewart because a lot of people are like we've got six or seven different earth lanterns they're all the same thing but they're not really so so who is Jon Stewart to you guys in this universe
1: well I think that uh, a big reason to have two different lanterns from earth is just is really to explore that and to see how different people might approach having a tool like the ring. And I think that he's a lot more, approaches things maybe more logically than how, and uh, more sort of from the beginning, just, okay, here's a problem. How do I solve it? And I think that we started from a kind of an idea that he's a problem solver. And went from there.
0: Yeah, and uh also uh we made him Canadian so that there was no possible way he would kill an entire planet. He's a nice guy. <laughs> He's from Canada. <laughs> um he could do it by accident. <laughs> <laughs> uh sorry. Joking, but, uh, but he is also a military guy and uh, a former military guy and uh you know uh, and I think that that kind of, you know, and and, and we certainly thought of him as somebody who was Uh, you know who could approach stuff with a certain kind of discipline but also we wanted to have somebody that we could who is a familiar recognizable character who we could treat in a different way and bring in through a different door than you would expect and have him end in a different place than you would expect I mean the uh you know and there was some uh there there was certainly some um some of the motivation there was that he would have you know that that Promo stuff for it would be like, How uh, Jon Stewart is a yellow lantern, so he must be evil. <laughs> and so, and uh, because uh, you know, the yellow lanterns are an aspect of this, and he does end up with a yellow ring, but. The way that we tell these stories are not about, you know, the color of your uh, ring saying what kind of person you are. So, it, you know, like it it's just about negotiating that power. Yeah. So
2: speaking of bringing in familiar characters, I kind of wanted to pivot over to Carol, because Carol is obviously a huge part of Green Lantern history. Uh, and the thing, though, about Carol Ferris and Hal Jordan, I feel as a Lantern fan is As much as I want to, you know, back my boy on every single aspect of when people throw out, you know, your top five lists of ABCD, top five DC Comics relationships. I wouldn't even throw Hal and Carol in the top 10 because in the Silver Age, she was quite literally coming across as crazy sometimes. (laughs) Uh, And other times creators sometimes just straight up forgot about her or just used her as a plot device. Whereas with Barry and Iris or Clark and Lois or... Uh, Ralph and Sue They're, The relationship was focused on and built up and things like this. Whereas how a lot of times v- seemed like he was using Carol as a, in, you know, the, the calm he was going to come home to before he just went off into space and did crazy stuff again. Carol really had a whole lot of agency in this book, and I'd love for you guys to talk about how you view
0: Carol. Well, just one thing though. I mean, you're talking about the history of these things, and and they they have everything to do with the time period that they're in. I don't know that the uh you know that the Flash stuff was any more like you know thoughtful in the Silver Age. It, it was more that the you know that. That through the 80s, that book became something, you know, even pre-crisis became something that, you know, where for whatever reason it was treated, you know, with in a little bit different, more interesting way. But all of this, you know, this is everything we talk about is about. Okay, let me just one thing that makes me it makes it hard for me to talk about this stuff is that to me, you know, these characters are are radically changed every time different creators are involved with them. So, I mean, being able to patch together an, a broad idea of who somebody is is near impossible because it's, you know, because they're the, the silver age versus the 80s versus the, you know, uh, the 90s or whatever like these, these, they barely relate to each other. It's such a long period of time and it's more about who's telling the story when they're telling it. That said, (laughs) um, as far as uh, as Carol Ferris is concerned, you know, she her character was, you know, seeded into the the first volume. She's mentioned uh, in uh, at the very beginning of volume one and uh, and sort of built up. There's a um, there's a a kind of famous uh, anecdote that Orson Welles tells about a, um, you know, uh, about uh, you know, how he, he played a character called Mr. Wu in a play, but Mr. Uh, and they spent, the characters spend the entire first act of the play talking about Mr. Wu. When is Mr. Wu going to arrive? And then, you know, the door opens, you know, uh, right before the first curtain and, and, uh, and Mr. Wu steps in and doesn't say anything. And, uh, curtain comes down, you know, the, the audience walks out in the, uh, you know, in, in the lobby in intermission, they're, uh, they're like, oh, isn't the actor who plays Mr. Wu fantastic? You know, it's just because of the buildup, right? So, I mean, our intention was to to seed in Carol the idea that she was a really important person from the beginning of volume one, so that when we actually got to her, that, you know, she would have, there, w- there would be an established sense that she was somebody in this world, and uh, and I think that it's uh, it's act, you know it, here in volume two, it's actually Hal Jordan who's the one who has kind of risen to her level, and uh, and they found that they have you know that they had a lot in common as far as what they wanted for Earth, and then they found that they had a relationship together.
1: And I think you're right that uh, she was often treated very perfunctorily in the past and we wanted to make sure that didn't happen that if a character appeared in these books we don't have that much space they need to really count and it's it's a difficult thing to think who what would a relationship be like with someone who had that sort of power like he has well it's got to be somebody who can hold her own and it's got to seem like that and uh Hopefully she comes across that. And
3: there's she, oh, go ahead,
0: Gabriel. And and their circumstances lead to, you know, to to them being involved with each other because they're both in a position of not, uh, of, of trying to do big important things, but not. Uh, necessarily in a completely public way. No, hundred percent. And you know what? I think
2: you guys did a great job with Carol because, as as quote unquote little as she's in the book compared to everything else that's happening, I actually in my, in my mind, and, and forgive me, I, I'm not I'm not trying to write your volume three for you if if and when that comes out. But <laughs> in my mind, a potential volume three would be uh, Carol Ferris, whatever this universe's version of the Sapphire Ring, her getting that. Becoming maybe sort of a stand-in protector of Earth, we got John Stewart, of course, who's already clearly set up for that. But also, you know, her dr- being driven to go find Hal uh, and b- being, you know, a very central character in that. And that's just how, you know, there's there's a billion different ways you could imagine a potential Volume Three. But that's one of the things I thought of very easily, just because of how well she is used in this, in the few
0: panels that we do see her working in.
1: Um, oh, I'm, I'm glad. And I
0: and I I think that. You know, you're you're definitely taking the you know the note that you know at the end you know we're we're definitely setting it up as Carol and John Stewart you know perhaps Mm -hmm. uh, you know being being the people who we would focus on in the next and Nord (laughs) of course of course of course
3: Uh, Nord now I I I agree with with uh, Chad chad's um assessment that i actually i this might this may very well be my favorite version of carol because she does it's the way she she does come across and again a limited amount of space and, and time she comes across as very powerful very competent which like we talked about you know when it comes to she's not like being fangirlish nor is she being crazy she just is very good at what she does and i i yeah i really i i gravitated to this carol more when obviously there have been plenty of interpretations and versions of carols like like what? No. <laughs> well, like, what yeah.
0: Is- and look, you know, we, we're you know, uh, it's it's not you know, Aresia, Carol Ferris. We're not unaware of the way that the characters have been treated right. in the past, and that's gonna inflect the way that we you know that we go at it. I mean, we're not out to make people you know perfect uh, like you know idealized characters, but I mean, we want to make everybody. Complex, but the, but there probably with Carol Ferris and definitely with Aresia, there is a there's a certain reaction to the way that they have been treated in the past, you know, in the way that we're doing it. And
3: that's that's true. That makes sense. Uh, this one might be relatively easy. Uh, obviously, you were setting up the Yellow Lanterns from the end of Volume One. What did was there anything in particular that you knew you wanted to do with the Yellow Lanterns? That I mean, again, we know this is a, to a certain extent this is about subverting expectations, but was there something that the concept of the yellow Yellow Lanterns, there was something you wanted to do that was either unique or you, something that was absolutely important to you that our Yellow... Besides, you mentioned the being evil part, so unless that's going to be the answer, but the, was there something else be, that you thought that the Yellow Lanterns, we don't want our Yellow Lanterns to be this, or we want them to be this, so, that they're not as most people kind of see them currently. Something well,
0: like I mean, it. we certainly didn't want something that had uh, bigger ramifications of the, uh, of, of the incontinuity version of the element and didn't want it to be something I'm giving a lot of negative answers here, but, but didn't want it to be the, um, uh, I mean, we, we wanted to, to introduce a different, uh, ring, a different kind of ring as a counterpoint, but, and have it not, you know, have both as a counterpoint and to show how it's similar and to show how, This uh, relatively uniformed group of people approach, uh, you know, wielding this power versus this very diverse group of people in the Green Lantern Corps. And you know, if and so, I mean, that I think in a lot of ways, though, the the choice of of bringing the Yellow Lanterns was not so much a Reaction to the, um, you know, to the previous versions of them and the Jeff Johns stuff and everything, Uh, except that uh, we, you know, we wanted to to definitely say that. This is not about your emotions, you know. and uh, There aren't different, co- there aren't color-coded emotions in our world, you know. It's about, uh, you know, it, it's it's about the people who are who are uh, coming to it, or the, you know, whatever aliens, you know, people, whatever, you know, uh, who and what they're bringing to it, rather than the, um, rather than you know your like emotional state being defined by the color of your, you know, powerful ring. And the and I think that the um that show, you know, showing that. This is this uniform, a more uniform group of people, the Quartians, who are, uh, you know, who have these, uh, you know, rings, the yellow rings. But that even within that, uh, it's not so easy to, uh, you know, to judge them on mass.
1: And I think the corollary with that too is that it's interesting to explore othering, and certainly humans are very good at this. There's always this sort of based on whatever um, you can other any group. Certainly, fandoms do this a lot, other in other fandoms, and uh, that, that tends to happen, but just as a very, you know, lighthearted example, but uh, we want... Or not! I mean, no, sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> 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 very true. But I think that there's a lot to be gained by looking at what things like that that are just sort of human nature, and exploring it more deeply in fiction, and particularly in science fiction, where you can uh, kind of Deal with large themes and then break them down. So the idea that they seem like a cohesive whole at first... It's like, what is this other? And they're different. You know, they have this yellow ring and it's powerful. And what do they, what do they want? And then quickly we try to show that, oh, they're individuals and they maybe want different things and they might have a unifying principle, but maybe there's another logical reason for that. It's not just that they are like this. It's because they logically had to do something and maybe they're not all interested in the same thing. So,
0: and maybe some of them are uncomfortable with what, you know, what, what they Uh, signed up for at a certain point, you know? So, I mean, I think that that's, that's pretty relevant to, um, you know, to uh, a lot of stuff in in our world, you know? I mean, the, uh, there's, you know, I mean, certainly as relates to, uh, you know, military operations and whatever. I mean, there's, there's, there's both sides of all of this stuff. Oh God, cut that part out. (laughs) But uh, like, there are fine people on both sides. (laughs) All right, done, I'm done, forget. (laughs) Uh, No, it's, you know, it's just about trying to show the perspective on it. But like I said, this is fiction where we have to do that sort of stuff. Uh, it's not the kind of stuff that we have to do in reality.
1: Well, also, right? again, mm-hmm. back to the um, superheroes and wish fulfillment and exploring large themes. I think a lot of power and what you do with power and you, no matter what power you have, if you have the power of a ring or you're like Carol Ferris and you have the power of a corporation or even if you're just a regular person, you still make choices. And a lot of what these books are about is personal choice defining your character not the other way around
0: yeah so the the yellow lanterns are kind of a setup to like you know to uh to or a little bit of a fake out to say that we're we're gonna you know we're we're like Karina's saying we're looking at this big uh seemingly lockstep mass of uh you know of others and uh and then breaking that down some
3: I think I think the lack the diversifying from the emotional spectrum i think that works actually story-wise i think that works really well because it also works in the to the plans of the guardian there because it makes more sense that the guardian would be more than happy to switch from basically from core to core if it helps him achieve his goal as he basically yeah. makes it clear in the story that eh, the yellow lanterns are just a means to an end for for now it's not, uh by the way i must point out i really like the conversation between hal and the guardian about looking into the void Oh. Me of, of my favorite Nietzsche quote. I kind of really like that. I really like that because of you, know, you look into the abyss, the abyss looks into you. I like that. I thought that was really good. <laughs> well, good, because I felt a little guilty putting that line in there. <laughs> That's pretty deep for Hal, though. We have, we, you should get even more, even more credit for that because you don't really see Hal as a Nietzsche-thinking kind of guy. <laughs>
0: This is our how. (laughs) how. We spent a lot of time on that
3: asteroid. That's right. Good, Chad.
2: Yeah, so we don't want to get cut off by Zoom again (laughs) anytime soon. So uh, last time we we spoke, we had kind of a fun question, which was, hey, you guys kind of get to corner of the market at least in terms of earth one stories on dc cosmic so what other characters would you like to see and you guys like to throw out you know you guys are fans of hawkman and by the way i hope you guys are enjoying robert venditti's series because i personally am uh, i thought that was pretty great um yeah. but as a fun a fun little thing you know uh gabriel specifically i've i've looked over this entire volume a few times uh where the hell is space cabby because you oh, said you yeah. wanted space Cabby and i don't
0: <laughs> see him anywhere <laughs> volume four well, Actually, if you look if you turn to page 127 and you look at the top <laughs> corner of panel three uh no i'm making that up but the uh but like it, yeah we'll we'll see Look, we, we got us, we got to have something for volume three. And, and also, how do you know that we're not, you know, working on a big relaunch of space cabbie in the, you know, in in the the regular DC universe, and we just don't want to like, you know, blow it on two panels in this Green Lantern.
2: uh well you know if you can give him the you can just the little small lettering just put it up there oh i'll give whoever he's touting around i'll give you the lantern
0: cast rate yeah uh, well look here if, it, <laughs> if, if since uh since everybody says that uh that we're making a more realistic and down gritty or down to earth, whatever sort of uh, sort of book. Uh, like if space cabbie showed up, he would be, you know, like, uh, it would be depressing, right? Like, I mean, he would be this, this guy in a, you know, in like a semi-functional, you know, like uh crummy-looking rocket thing who probably died, you know, on, like um, from, you know, on on his way over, they just find a corpse of Space Cabbie. It would just, Aww. it would be, it'd be terrible, right? Like because we're doing something so gritty and grounded, right? So, uh, so the the uh, the, <laughs> which obviously I don't take very seriously, but uh, <laughs> the like, uh, but we'll, well, you know, so there there'll be there'll be room for Space Cabbie in the future. There will be room for uh, um, for Manhunter twenty seventy. It will be very confusing because. There are already Manhunters in this, but you know, still, and no one knows who Manhunter 2070 is, but like, you know, uh, but uh, well, yeah, we'll see. None of those things are going to happen. Although I did try really hard to uh, uh, like DC has this digital first line and they were putting, they were putting out a book that was kind of an anthology of sci-fi ish sort of stuff. And, uh, and I 100% tried to pitch, you know, these goofball characters uh, to, to do just as a one-off sort of digital first book. And uh they weren't going for it.
2: You know, I don't. I don't know when the actual copyright date of when they put to put these out, but I, I, I only discovered them myself recently. But DC had put out two really interesting collections recently. They put out a DC. They they collected the DC first issue specials. Oh yeah. And then and then they did the world's finest. Uh, stuff as well, and like when it was like random team ups and stuff like that, right. uh, which are just wonderful. Like I mean, the first issue specials—the is idea that you have like Lady Cop and stuff like that in there. Like if you love just the weird side of DC, listeners, go go find that. That I bought that. That's a fantastic thing. Go find that.
0: Um, well, but uh, worth it. Also, the you know the Man Hunter Seventy I'm talking about is a sort of uh, Blade Runner pre Blade Runner uh, sort of uh, um, bounty hunter sci-fi. Character from 1970, uh, that, um, and now I'm gonna forget his name, but the 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 art the original artist from Justice League that um wrote and drew, and uh, it's uh, and I can't believe I'm not remembering his name, but the um, but like it's uh, like I actually just started joking that I wanted to do a book about this character like decade ago. And, uh, like, when they announced the New 52, I, uh, like, I, 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 I announced that I was doing a Manhunter 2070 book and that it would be part of the New 52. Uh, and then, like, people took it seriously because there was very little information out there. And then, like, a previous writer of, of Manhunter got really upset because they thought that I was taking their job. And it was just and it, my, my dumb joke turned into, like, a terrible thing. But so I continued with the joke forever, despite it not being funny. And uh, like, and continue to bring up that I want to do Manhunter twenty seventy to the point where. Like, a couple of weeks ago, I pitched a man 127 to DC, uh, and uh, they shot me down immediately. So, whatever. Uh, so, before we turn you guys
2: uh, loose and let you talk about the other stuff you uh, got going on, I did want to, we got you guys both on here, and that's that's fantastic. It's, it's been lovely to have you guys back. But I don't want to overlook another partner in this creative process, which is uh, Jordan Boyd. uh <laughs> I don't have anything specific to say other than, I mean, hey, the, the fantastic coloring work uh, and things uh, continue uh, from the prior series and, and the use of color. In the, and, and the juxtaposition of light versus dark, a lot of people compared your first uh, uh, volume to sort of an alien-esque sort of a thing. I do like, you know, so you, with space, you can kind of go either way. You can go, you know, there are a bunch of nebulas and cool planets and, you know, interesting things in the background or it's just black. Uh, and the the way that uh, it's played uh, on the art side as well as on the, the coloring side, uh, and, and the cooperation between that and the kind of look it has, I don't have anything specific to address. But if you guys just want to just go off on a minute about uh, yeah Jordan Jordan's work, I, I, that'd be great.
0: Yeah, colorist Jordan Boyd did an amazing job, and uh, you know we we worked together for years, and so there's a there's a real kind of simpatico quality there. He colored Invisible Republic as well. And, uh, so like, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're at a point where we can, we can work very well together and, you know, and there's, there's not a lot of notes. There's not a lot of adjusting. He's just getting it from the line art. So, uh, he did an amazing job. Also, uh, our letterer, Simon Bolin, uh, did, did a fantastic job. He lettered the first one as well. And he's he's basically, you know, lettered everything. He's worked
1: with us a lot. Yeah,
0: he's lettered everything of mine where I can get him hired, uh, he letters. So, uh, you know, it, it's uh, – uh, it, and, and the entire team is exactly the same from the previous book.
1: Which makes it really um, – gives it a sense of continuity over and above what it would have had otherwise, I think. Yeah. That's a really –
2: really important part of it. 100%. One hundred percent.
1: All right. Well, uh, we wanted to give you guys an opportunity to
2: talk about some of the other works that you guys have coming out. I know, listeners at home, you want us to ask about Volume 3. Look, if DC didn't say anything, they're not allowed to say anything
0: either. So it's not like Lantern Cast is going to get an exclusive. Yeah, So here's the thing. You should say something to DC about it. (laughs) If you you like the book, you write to DC about it because I think they would like to hear it. (laughs) and, And Because, hey, look, guys,
2: you can talk, and I'm speaking directly to the listeners, You, we can talk all day long about how we want DC to do this or that or the other. It's a business. They're going to make decisions based on the money that they get for it. If you like this, buy it. The, vote with your dollars if you want more of this stuff. Uh, and not only that, social media is a thing. Don't get on your high horse and be like, I'm going to throw a tantrum unless you <laughs> don't be another one of
0: those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, it just, it absolutely does not hurt to just reach out to them and, you know, uh, and say that, uh, you know, you'd like a third volume of the book because, you know, that, that actually has a decent amount of weight to it.
2: A hundred percent. It just, not only did DC, not only did I buy buy this book, but I enjoyed it. Just let them know. Uh, And hey, leave, leave reviews on places like Amazon or wherever else you can pick up a book like this. It does not hurt.
1: Always Uh, the next thing.
2: A hundred percent. So before we get cut off, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity. You talked about uh, and mentioned some of your other works. What do you have out there for people to get either currently being released or that people can go grab from a back issue catalog?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, I'll try to go quick because publishing is so crazy this year that everything I have is like coming out at once. So um, first there's I wrote a uh, essay about the monstrous feminine in um, classic horror movies, and that's in a book called *Musing on Monsters*. That's a book of essays like that coming out for Halloween. Um, that's for pre-order now.
0: What's your essay about, though?
1: It's the monstrous feminine in, yeah, cat, but, people, right. in it's the cat, cat people.
0: Right, it's about cat people
1: duology. So uh, <laughs> cat people. Um, I'm gonna use up all our time talking about that, so I better <laughs> not. But it's uh
0: but yeah. the Val Lewton uh, 1940s uh, mm. a horror cycle. but
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um that was a wonderful opportunity i was really happy to contribute to that i also the expanse uh, miniseries is coming out in december um starting in december that's fitting between seasons four and five i have a story in flashbacks for dc for young readers that's um aquaman and mira travel to the deep ocean and you get to see giant squid and um gosh what else uh there's a couple other things that I don't know if I can talk about that you've also.
0: Um, yeah. Well, I mean, what we, uh, we co-wrote and I drew a Batman black and white story. That's going to be in the, uh, the new, uh, you know, the new volumes of, of uh, Batman black and white that I, I'm very proud of that story. I think it's some of the best artwork I've ever done. Um, the, and also I solo wrote and drew, uh, another Batman story for the digital first, uh, Gotham Knights book and, uh, which is super fun. It's, uh, Batman and Batwoman and versus. Doctor Phosphorus and I, I really treated it like it's you know like the fill in issue or something like it's a like uh, like Jim Aparo could have drawn it you know and uh, and so that's that's released digital first on October nineteenth uh, so you know pretty soon and uh, and it was a it was a pretty short turnaround and uh, and I. Uh, Really enjoyed doing that. I, I I mean, it was like less than a month. I wrote it and drew the whole, whole thing, and uh, you know, and I think that it's actually going to be a lot of fun. Nice, very nice. And there, other stuff can't talk about it. No Lantern Cast exclusives, people.
1: (laughs) Um, That catalog, this is just, um, I don't get anything personally if you buy one of these, but I I co-wrote a dinosaur book, and I am a dinosaur nut, and um, so if anybody would like to seek out Smithsonian Dig It Dinosaurs for their little ones for Christmas, it comes with a dinosaur that you can dig out of Sandstone. Nice.
3: That's (laughs) a pretty cool concept. I I, I, I I had one of those kids. I'm kids.
1: really proud of it. So just, you know, if anybody's <laughs> into dinosaurs. I, 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 I really In cool. our
3: book, Invisible
0: Republic, there are three volumes of it out. There going to be, there's going to be more of it coming oh, yeah, up. Uh, you have. know, it's <laughs> from Image science Comics. Theory. It's a science fiction book. It's uh, it's it's perhaps even grittier and more grounded than Green Lantern. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it's, uh, you know, uh, I think that we, you know, we deal with uh, some of the same kind of themes in it. And, uh, and I think it'd be worth Worth checking out if you like this book.
2: Awesome. Uh, well, I mean, Karina, if you're uh, up for doing kid friendly stuff like uh, the flashbacks, the stuff that y'all are working on, and things like that, um, please pitch the idea of a uh, Denver the Last Dinosaur comic because oh, yes. <laughs> nobody else seems to remember Denver. And I've got like pins and I still have the, the stuffed animal from when I was a little kid. I, 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 I love Denver. With I was so shocked. You know, people, granted, Underdog was like a huge thing for me too. And he's got more popularity and stuff like that. But like people have picked up like the licenses for all these old characters, but their Denver just sits by the wayside. No one's doing
3: anything with him. <laughs> so
1: unfair! So unfair!
3: One hundred percent. Hashtag make Chad happy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would. If I could, I
0: would. Well, <laughs> <laughs> look, we'll get it sorted. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, awesome.
1: All
2: right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun, and thanks thanks, thanks for being, for being willing to
0: do this. Yeah. No, no problem. Yeah.
3: One of these days I'm going to, if we do volume three, when we talk about it at some point, I w- want to ask about Planet of the Apes too, because I'm a big Planet of the Apes
0: guy. <laughs>
3: By all means. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, yeah a- we did a, you know, we did a
0: Planet of the Apes book for Boom and, uh, you know, and it, I loved doing it and it was super fun. And it was like the first kind of like freelance thing that we wrote and drew, you know, we wrote and I drew and then, you know, Mark Lamming drew a, an arc of it and it, you know, it's, it's, you Know that that's how, if you if you could seek that stuff out, they actually an omnibus of that uh came out like last year, and uh and I, I personally I'm super proud of that,
1: so yeah, absolutely, and I, huge
0: I, I play of the
3: yeah. So that's one of the reasons I wanted that. Uh, it was a question I had like when we did the last interview, it was like when I but we didn't have time for it, I knew we were gonna t- have time to go into it today, too. But volume we three, that's we your
0: you can cut it out. Just ask your question. One minute. We'll answer.
3: Yes. Next, we will be prepared.
0: No, no, <laughs> you know, go, go, come on, Mark. Fire it off. We got four
2: minutes. I didn't on have the clock.
3: anything specific. Re- I was just going to ask general thoughts about it. So that's why next time I'm going to have something specific in that way. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah, All so. right. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, well, I guess we'll talk to you guys later. All right. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks
3: so much. Thanks, guys.
2: And that was the interview. Uh, man, that was a lot of fun.
3: It was fun. Time
2: flies. Time flies. Oh, oh, really quickly. And you know, I'm just, uh, I'm, this is probably kind of my favorite type of interview to do. Personally speaking is when you have somebody come back, because uh, in a way, it's—I don't think it ever really goes away—the idea of like nervousness before an interview or anything like that—and uh, that's part of the reason I like to refer to these types of episodes as a conversation with you know X, as opposed to interview with blah blah blah. It just sounds—it sounds so prepared and formal and preparatory. It's not like we don't prep for these, but. I just I like to call them conversations um because that's what they truly are. And it's so much more of a conversation when you have a returning guest like Karina and and Gabriel because you're already familiar with them. They've been on. It's been a while since they've been on, but you know, they kind of know us. And especially if you part of your prep is to listen to the previous episode, uh going into it. So you can ask whatever follow-ups maybe you couldn't ask before, things like that. It kind of gives this whole seamless transition, uh, even if they're gaps in terms of solid years between the time you're talking to them and the last time you did
3: i think it just naturally makes it easier i have everything you said is absolutely true i don't think and you obviously have done a lot more of these than i have and you're better at it than i am but when it comes from, from an interview perspective i think you you you're always going to be nervous but the reality is clearly when you've talked to people before you're going to be less nervous because there's some kind of natural rapport that's there. I mean, unless obviously, unless there's like this, (laughs) unless you have this really diametrically opposed, you know, personality conflict or whatever, it's just where it just, you know, you're going to butt heads and you're not looking for, and you're nervous because you know, you're going to, you're just not going to get along. But assuming that's not the case that you know, that it's, it's a little, it's a little easier because it just it'll flow a little better obviously sometimes you have more connect, you have a better connection or a vibe with some people than others but i just think just generally speaking when you have repeat repeat guests on i think it makes it easier on that level it's a, it's it's a lot more natural maybe a lot more just conversational maybe that's a way to put it it's a, or the opportunity for it to be conversational is a little More natural there than it is if you were just somebody who, let's say, as opposed to Jeff Johns, it's like, uh, hey, what's new? It's like, no, (laughs) it's not the same thing. (laughs) You've been in the news a lot lately.
2: (laughs) Oh, God.
3: Uh no, I mean I, I'm 100% with
2: you. I, I thanks for the compliment. I appreciate it. I, but you know honestly, I don't, I don't necessarily believe there's, there's a, a right way or a wrong way to do this. I mean there, there is obviously you don't want to be over prepared. You don't want to, you, especially in if, uh, if in the idea of pursuing these things more as conversations and flat out interviews, you don't want to sit there and list every single question you're going to ask because then that doesn't give you room to flat out converse and it doesn't give you room to ask follow ups or just participate in the back and forth because you're so rigidly adhering to this list of bam 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 here are the things I wanted to ask it's actually a whole lot better to just have maybe four or five depending on your your time limit having four or five questions and just letting the conversation go naturally where it wills but i think you know and and and, and we kind of mentioned this you know in our private chat to each other while we were kind of going back and forth during this is like the the, the transition gets easier and easier because it it if you ask the right follow-ups it very naturally leads into the next question you are going to ask as opposed to just all right we have answered that now stop Switch topics. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think I think you you notice that is, you know, uh, you may be nervous before a particular interview. But once you these these segues just sort of naturally present themselves, it kind of
3: uh, alleviates that uh, whole hog pretty much. No, I would say so. Even even. And it's all. And there's an element of the unknown. I mean, again, when you're when you've done this. I mean, you're interviewing somebody that you've talked to multiple times, or even just once before you have a, you kind of have an idea how it's going to go as opposed to something as, you know, completely raw and new. And you, and this could go, you know, one of a million, one of a million ways. But I think it, even if it's somebody who you do know, there's always, maybe, maybe it's human, again, human nature. Maybe it's that fear that, Oh, you're going to ask a question. Either they're not going to like or they're not, or you're expecting this to be this big, deep question. They're going to give you, they're going to wax poetic about. And it's like, Cue, cue the crickets from Phil, from Phil, from last week's episode. <laughs> it's like, like uh oh, then you got to think fast on your feet. But this was, yeah, this was really fun because it, it just, fl- it flowed really well. We, we both had, like you said, we both probably had a, a handful of gen- of questions, some specific, some general, and depending on where you know they they steered the conversation, that's where we went. And a lot of times there were just some natural segues to go into one one area or another that we want, had wanted to ask about anyway.
2: Sure. Uh, and from a recording standpoint, I think it, it, we didn't mention it last episode, mostly because of how long
3: last episode was. Oh,
2: yes. Uh, but uh, the, the, this is our second time actually using Zoom uh, as as a recording. So not only do you, we want you guys to give us some feedback on what you think about Earth One Volume Two, about what you think about our conversation with uh, Karina and Gabriel and so on and so forth. What do you guys think about the episode? How's the volume coming through? How's how's the quality coming through? Are you guys, uh, you know, part of the reason we're using Zoom is because when we use Skype, and this is just like a peek behind the curtain, and this is why we're doing it at the end of the episode instead of the beginning. Part of the reason we're using Zoom instead of Skype is because when we use Skype sometimes, especially when there's more and more people on the call, Skype likes to unsync everything so sometimes you'll be you'll be editing and there'll be this long chunk where everything's in sync and everything's fine and then suddenly some something will happen to one of the tracks and it'll sound like Mark or I are talking over each other or whoever we have on and that's not really what was happening during the call or the audio will cut out and then speed up to catch up or whatever. It seems like Zoom hasn't been doing that for us so not only do we sincerely want to know your thoughts on Green Lantern Earth 1 Volume 2 or if you've it if you haven't purchased it what your plans are to purchase it same you know your thoughts are on it your thoughts are on the conversation that we just had with Karina and Gabriel we're actually curious what you think of the episode in terms of a quality standpoint because we seem to notice a difference right away but we wanted to make sure that uh quality wise that the content was better
3: um better on the ear I guess now I I think now, obviously, sometimes when in an episode we talk, there's talk over each other. It's because it's legitimate. <laughs> oh, oh no, hundred percent. I know. I, I I just I mean I think people know that, but I'm just saying there there are there are there are some absolute legitimate times where somebody's either just usually me, but somebody's trying to be funny, or you think somebody's done and they're not, and then you kind of talk and it's like okay, if it's blatantly obvious where it's a problem, then you know then in editing then we would try to fix it. Now I do think that again. Most of these, I think a lot of the issues with the overlapping, whether this was the only cause or not, was when I was on my, old, my older computer. I think that created more potential problems, even though ironically, the, my audio quality with, with my headset, which is not what I'm using now, I'm using a different mic. But using the same headset, it seemed like for whatever reason on my new computer, it just wasn't giving us the same volume. the same It wasn't giving us the same consistent quality. You know, I think it did get better when I used a better jack into the computer. I think that did help. But we, but certainly with Skype, it doesn't seem like I had, I had the issue with some kind of distortion that we had the first time I used this mic in Skype. though so we also adjusted the volume. So it, it, there's pros and cons I mean there's pros and cons as we know from an editing perspective, this gives us everything in one track. Which is a problem when there's stuff going on in the background, like crickets, because <laughs> because you only have one track, so you can't really mute you know mute the background when when it's there all the time. If somebody has their mute un, un, you know and and their mic is picking up crickets and someone else is talking, well, there's going to be crickets in the background. But it's yeah, we are we are curious. We're trying to you know we're trying to get better quality and trying to fit into perfect uh, a more perfect rhythm and yeah. That, that's yeah, hundred kind of percent. And I,
2: th- I think I mean I don't know how long I've had this this mic set up, but I would say in the past six to eight months, you and I have both gotten new uh new hardware to make this a little bit better. And now right. we've changed our recording platform a little bit. So uh we want to we want to make sure that you know this this podcast doesn't really make any money. So like we want to make sure that the the money of our own dollars that we're investing to make this better is actually worth it. So please let us know. Um. But uh, yeah, 100%. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I was really excited to have uh, Karina and Gabriel back on the show. Um, just listening uh, in preparation for this episode, re-listening to our original conversation with them. You know, just just hearing their voices made me sort of ease into it. Because I listened to the episode maybe an hour or two before we got on the call to to do tonight's episode so uh you know it kind of made for an easy transition to get into our conversation because i was like oh, i just got through listening to them talk so you know uh it, it felt really smooth and natural so i was really excited to have them on it, it seemed to pay dividends we had a great conversation uh and yeah man i can't wait for volume three
3: yes volume three should be fun um certainly we certainly can look forward to that than a lot of the other green lantern stuff we've been we've been reading lately or at least some of it i should say not all 50 50. <laughs> <laughs> and you people out there know which 50 we like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if
2: they want to give us feedback on this episode in our conversation with Karina and Gabriel, or they want to talk about Earth 1 Volume 2, or they just want to talk about what we were talking about in terms of uh, a shift in the our process of recording this, this podcast, uh, how do they reach out to us?
3: LanternCast at gmail.com. The website is LanternCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, use hashtag GLCast, locate us there. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, and hopefully more platforms in the future. Please leave us a positive review on all the platforms or any platforms you listen to us on. And last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail or text, Please seven zero eight lantern is the number, and let us know what you think. Right? Uh, yeah. Uh, just one
2: quick thing, because I, I think
3: I mentioned it on a
2: recent, relatively recent episode. Uh, we uh, are still posting content over on our YouTube channel. I did post a uh, a video very recently of uh, an unboxing I did of the nineteen ninety one Impel uh, DC Cosmic trading cards. Um, and, uh, did a full unboxing of that over on our channel. It is an unboxing of trading cards, a, a factory sealed uh, set. I believe there was like 36 packs, 12 cards a pack, something like that. So obviously it's a longer video. Um, but if you're curious about that, uh, go ahead and do that. I've, i go ahead and go over to our, our, our YouTube channel and watch that. Uh, I believe it's Lantern Cast Vids is the name of the channel. Um, So go check that out. And uh I just recently recorded an unboxing of the nineteen ninety-three Skybox uh trading cards, the DC Cosmic Teams set. Uh as of this recording I recorded it, I haven't edited it. Um and uh today I got a third set of uh factory sealed trading cards. Non-DC, uh but there's a reason I got them. uh, that I just got today haven't even unboxed it or recorded it yet so there's there's content coming over there and mark i believe you were talking relatively recently about doing some more kind of ring cyclopedia based or figure based
3: videos as well so yes i haven't quite decided what i want to do yet but i i was i was thinking about it in general but yeah um i in, in the context of because of your recording and then just looking just looking downstairs at, at some of the stuff and thinking about uh different different videos related to the ring cyclopedia that that we could do i was i was thinking about doing one soon um so yeah i'll, I'll try to come up with something at least in the next month or so so we have some more video content as we get to the end of this hellish year 100 did you did you have a chance
2: to watch the trading card video
3: i'm not going to comment one way or the other yet on that chat <laughs>
2: I, I can't do that, Al. <laughs> I don't think I should do that, Al. <laughs> um, All right, guys. I guess we'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.